Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Yes, Mr. Jackson. Welcome to Cloudlandia. And, kind of, and what was the exact nature of a billion-dollar offer that you got this week that you turned down? It undervalued your value. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. I don't think I had an offer like that this week. What do you think? Yeah. Mr. Beast did. Oh, I know. Isn't that something? No, I don't think so. But, you know, somebody broke down the, did the math on it, you know, compared to like a Super Bowl commercial, which is, you know, $7 million or something for, a, you know, a 30-second Super Bowl commercial. And they broke down the number each month that he has of that number of reach. <laughs> and it was like, it was crazy. Yeah, it was, he was absolutely right to turn down a billion dollars for, for his channel. Very interesting, isn't it? These are amazing times. And it's a yeah. perfect. Well, well, the interesting thing about it is the person who is making the offer would actually end up with more or less nothing if Mr. Mm. Beast did. Because is there, first of all, would there be a section in the contract where he would have to produce or would they just buy what he produce or create? Or is he clear and free? Because if he's clear and free, he'll just go out and do it again and they'll end up with nothing. And I wonder that you know you think about that that there's certainly a more sense of fleeting value in the Mr. Beast catalog sort of thing. You know, I don't know what's going to happen now in you know 40 years. Is this going to be a valuable catalog? I've seen this cascading thing of all these great you know musical artists from the 70s and 60s and 80s now are they're selling their catalogs i just saw that you know neil young had sold 50 percent of his catalogs for 150 million dollars and i thought bruce springsteen had sold half of they're selling half of their catalog for these big up some upfront sums and I remember it was interesting because I believe that David Bowie was the first to have done that, to, to create mm-hmm. Bowie bonds. And it was some crazy mm-hmm. amount of money that he was, hundreds of millions that he was paid for his, yeah. um, for his catalog. But I had an interesting thought about that this week because I've been thinking about, you know, I, I, visually, it, it's it's. If I look at a timeline, if I plot them on a timeline and they're on the base and then a rise in their ubiquity or sort of peak, you know, fully realized, if you go from Gutenberg to 14, whatever, and then, yeah, you go in the order that they were created basically was text and then sound and then picture and then video moving pictures right so you the big four categories of content creation Mm -hmm. and if you think about that those four sort of all converged by by, you know 1900 they were kind of all created by 1950 they kind of reached the peak of their i'll call it ubiquitousness or their access accessibility that they're fully realized. You could, you know, in practice, there was a way to capture, record, to, you know, preserve, to, to create all of it, print, pictures, video, audio. And, you know, I mentioned before that it didn't seem like there's been, there was much advancement that led into a long period of years until we got to the digitization of those things. And it followed Mm. the same path of words for text first, sound with the MP3, you know, (laughs) pictures and the pegs and then video. And by, you know, YouTube, it it was, had reached the, everything was in place. But now in 2022, we're at the point where 
all of those things, it's kind of like another peak level of both production, the preserving and the distribution and consumption of all of those things is at a plateau level. And I've said it kind of before that I don't see where, I don't know where we can improve on the production, consumption, distribution, all of those things. We basically have every piece of any of those media that's ever been created or will be, can be created, instantly available to us on any device and distributable to anybody in the world, right? We can instantly, <laughs> that's what Mr. Beast is doing. And I was thinking about that from the 50s on, that it was really an era of then people capitalizing on the use of those tools as opposed <clears throat> to the creation of those tools. And now, so we look mm -hmm. at what's happening now, and if you say, you know, Mr. Beast, and as the perfect example of a content creator who's built, used those tools, used the ability to create video, preserve it, and distribute it, that, you know, you see that now and build an audience around that, that those are the mm -hmm. big, those are the big wins, I think. Now. Yeah. Just the thinking other, the like, what about, the next 20 years look like, you know? Yeah. Well, I've got three insights from what you've just said. <clears throat> there are some people from the 70s who are getting big payoffs now. And you name, you know, you name some of the big ones. But yeah. there's 9,999 other artists from the 70s who aren't getting a dime. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you have to understand that history cherry picks. In other words, you cherry pick backwards and you say, this was worth it. But that was based on the fact that these people had a continuous following from the 70s up until an audience up until an now. Yeah. yeah. And the big national audiences stopped around halfway through the 70s. <clears throat> and there's some interesting evidence of that, that when you look at tours, you know, annual tours, generally speaking, seven out of 10 of the biggest tours will be musicians who are in their 70s. It won't yeah, be legacy artists, bright, right. Uh, yeah, it won't be new, bright, you know, bright, young artists. They won't be there. Right. And because bright young artists can't create national audiences anymore because they're, all the distributions are really fragmented down into niches. Okay, mm -hmm. so you may be the 900-pound gorilla for a niche, but yeah. your niche in comparison with all the other niche niches really isn't very significant. I mean, when Elvis appeared on Ed Sullivan, Ed right. Sullivan show. The he got an 85% of American televisions that night. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that was, yeah. There isn't anybody who can get more than about, I mean, 10%, you know, of a. Well, there's uh, less. Uh, I saw now the ratio that, yeah, there's hardly any shows now that have 10 million viewers. 10 million is like a huge number now for a TV show. Mm -hmm. That's been, there was an article about that with the upfront, the big showcase at the, you know, the year that the networks kind of show what they've got in the lineup and how it's really dropping precipitously, you know, and it's all about yeah. streaming now. It's all about the streaming catalog. Yeah. I think what Mr. Beast is a bit of a unique, unique character in the sense that he's going to make his billion anyway. So he doesn't yeah. really have to take a billion from anybody now mm -hmm. because he's going to make the billion. He's going to make the billion anyway, and he knows it, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, but the other thing is the moment that he's bought, he stops creating. Right. Yeah. That's so what I wonder. What they're right? trying like to buy, what they're trying to buy is a creator. And I don't think they're available. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't think you can buy a creator because creators only create when they're not reporting to someone. That's the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's something about yeah. the, yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like the people who are doing the buying are looking at this as a commodity that they can add to their investment portfolio. You know, this is a prime piece of sirloin steak that we can, you know, we can put into ground beef and sell it off in pieces five years from now. You know, yeah. but yeah, so they know the price of every they know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. And and I think he's sensing that, but I think it was a good, uh, you know, I think getting an offer like that is a really important measurement for someone like him. He says, billion, that's interesting, because yeah. he said, he said, that lets me sort of gauge against what the impact is, the network that I've created, the YouTube subscriber base that I've created, but also, you know, the, you know, the popularity of the Mr. Beast, uh, the Beast Burger yeah. restaurants, and how they're and how they're doing, yeah. and uh, you know the you know the other the specialty foods that he's creating, the chocolates and everything like that. So it gives him a yardstick. I mean, it's uh, probably from his standpoint at 24, <clears throat> eight years after he started his project, getting a billion dollar offer is probably pretty good. You know, it's a good measurement. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty amazing that he would have that opportunity. You know, when you think about, you know, six years ago, sitting in this bedroom, hoping that he had a million subscribers by the time he, you know, five years later, when he wrote, did the me in five years video. You know, you know what I would do if I were him and I'm not, and I want to make it clear that I'm not. But I would do a show where he's receiving the offer for a billion dollars and then just takes everybody through his thinking of why he's not going oh, to yeah. accept a billion dollars. And right. then he puts it out to his 160, 160 million audience. And he said, you know, you know, you know, this is the biggest offer I've gotten. But what I got in mind for some projects we're going to create in the future are just a lot more exciting to me. And, you know, this would just kind of delay me a bit and it might, you know, bog me down a bit and, and kind of, I just want to get on with the new things that I'm creating. And he just turns this into, nah, nah, the creativity is more important than the, the billion. And he's making 54 million a month anyway. So mm -hmm. or 50, he made 54 million last year. Well, you know, he's a kid from North Carolina. His taste right. haven't probably shot through the roof over the last year. Yeah. And that's a really interesting, you know, thing that he's, you know, really proven. You don't have to be anywhere. At the Toddlandia outposts are can be anywhere. That's for one thing. Yeah. You know, in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and yeah. uh, that didn't stop him. And he surrounded himself with the people right there. All the people that are the core people in his channel are his friends from right there in North Carolina. So it shows you know anybody has access to all the riches of Cloudlandia, but it's the idea yeah. and the execution that count. I saw it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just interesting. I was doing a podcast with Jeff Madoff about two weeks ago. About anything Forever, uh, and everything? People, <laughs> yeah, anything and everything. Yeah, that's about funny. anything and everything. <laughs> that's a real narrow focus, isn't it? We got ourselves yeah, down I love it. really narrow <laughs> Uh, focus and 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 so anyway jeff and i jeff is for those listeners who don't know jeff is a you know he's a veteran very well experienced for superb creator of video video for example the opening of fashion seasons for big design houses and that he'll create the video that presents you know, the new fashion season out to the world. And he's done lots of documentaries and he teaches marketing at, at the new school in New York and, you know, and all around fascinating conversationalist. But anyway, we were just talking about pricing, you know, how you price yourself in the marketplace. And I'm actually writing, writing my quarterly book on this subject this quarter. So What's it I'm called? interested in the topic, the title of this one is called Capitalism and Everything Else. <laughs> you know, okay, that, Capitalism uh, and Everything Yeah, else. there's a methodology called capitalism, and the first step of capitalism that is that you price yourself 
in a way that appreciates what your value is. In other words, mm. it, uh, and appreciates a great word, Dean. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but appreciate can mean, on the one hand, it can mean sort of grateful. You know, mm-hmm. you appreciate something, you're grateful for it. But it also has an economic term, which means to increase the value of. You appreciate yeah. the, you know, real estate appreciates, uh, gold appreciates, stocks appreciate. Yeah. You know, so that, so it's an interesting word. And so anyway, I was telling him that in my early coach days, probably program started in 1989. So this would have been probably 93, 94. And I had a guy from California <clears throat> who was a big deal compared to most of the other clients that were in coach at that time. And he had his own jet. He flew his jet into Toronto for the workshops. And and he came up to me and he said, you know, I get a lot out of these workshops, but I'd like to, I've got something I want to think through. And I'd like to offer you to get picked up on a Friday with my jet brought out to California. We spent the whole weekend at my place. I got great guest houses and everything else. And I'll fly you back on Sunday night and fifty thousand dollars for that. So this is fifty thousand dollars in nineteen ninety four dollars and US dollars. And I said, Well, I'll tell you right now that would be a no. And uh, he said, huh? you didn't even think about it. I said, Well, I have thought about it. I'm just giving you <laughs> the con- <laughs> the conclusion of my previous thinking. <laughs> And I said, I did one-on-one coaching for 15 years, and I exhausted the possibilities of it. And I got to the point where I didn't think I could learn anything more from doing one-on-one coaching. And we switched over to the workshop setting. And I learned a lot more from the workshop setting than I did one-on-one. So, you know, I that weekend, I wouldn't learn anything. So that wouldn't be worth it to me. It wouldn't be worth it to me. There you go. What was his response? It was kind of ambivalent. You know, it was kind of ambivalent because I think it might have been a new experience for him. <laughs> for somebody saying no. Yeah, exactly. Well, or whatever, you know. I mean, I didn't think that. I didn't think his side of it through. I, I just thought, you know, that it would throw kind of a wrench into what we were doing in coach and everything, you know. And, you know, like it would be off topic. It would be off strategy it would be off you know off topic and you know and everything like that and you know yeah. and that's been my total attitude now i won't even travel period you know like somebody yeah, wants no to way. have me speaker that i won't i won't tra- travel you know i mean I'll, I'll do a zoom call yeah, i'll do course, a zoom right. call if the people watching are likely sign ups for a coach you know that mm-hmm. would be the only mm-hmm. condition of what I would do it. And my sense is that one of the things is that you can go as far as you want in life if you always know your value and what enhances your value. Yeah. And money, there's a point where money isn't going to enhance your value. Well, it's very, I mean, and you look at Mr. Beast, he's just discovered that that's True, even you know he's at got a twenty-four very, years old. At, at twenty-four years old, but he's already realized he's already gone through that arc very quickly. When he first started making mm-hmm. money, he bought a couple of cars and he bought a big house and the things and fancy clothes and stuff. And he realized this is all kind of crazy. And somebody broke into his house and stole all of his clothes and stuff. And he realized, okay, this is kind of silly anyway. So he kind of you know, has a what he calls a regular house now, and he's actually got a. He lives almost mostly at his big studio. He's got a place in his studio where he, you know, does wakes up. He's got his workout equipment right beside his bed, so he gets out of bed. He goes right to working out, right to the shower, and then right to eats a little breakfast, and then he goes right to work. And that's his whole environment is yeah. set up to support his number one goal which is to make the most amazing YouTube videos possible. Yeah. Not for everything yeah. else distracts from it. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. And that, you know, and that is, you know, I think the whole point is that so much emphasis probably over the last 
20 years, you know, with the internet becoming a more workable medium, you know, and more accessible medium, all the emphasis was on reach, you know, it was on, it was on reach. And then you get to the point where you can reach anything at any point, any time, you know, and then there's got to be a, you know, a coming around the circle to, yeah, but uh, is there anything, I mean, you can fill it up with content, but is the content uh, worth watching? Now that's the thing. That's where we're at, isn't it? That now the content has to be, because we have so much choice and over choice, where nobody's just accepting mediocre content. Like you, you could have, you know, in the, you know, 60s or things, it wasn't, there wasn't as much like, you know, on the quality of stuff where now. Well, the, yeah, well, the moment you heard the national, the moment you heard the national anthem, you know, there wasn't going to be any more content for six hours. We're done. That's enough. Yeah, that's enough for the day. But now it's anything you want at any time. And it's just, so, yeah. uh, but, you know, where we run into the, what I, you know, I mentioned before that the, what seems like the real, you know, the real not finite resource is our attention. And that, that's all we have, you know. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. I, I, th- I think a, the, uh, yeah, I, I would say lack of choice is no longer the problem. I think probably right. lack of purpose I think lack of purpose is really a much bigger problem than lack Mm -hmm. of choice. I saw a video um, interview about with Mr. B. He wasn't in it, but they were talking about having spent a weekend with him. I sometimes watch the podcast that they had spent a weekend with Mr. B in the context of a bunch of other entrepreneurs in North Carolina, all kind of, getting together. The guy intentionally set up the gathering in North Carolina so that it would be super easy if Mr. Beast wanted to stop by and he did come and spend the weekend. But they said he's got two two guys with him at all times whose only job is to make whatever he wants to happen. <laughs> 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, they're sitting there. They were having the idea at 1030 at night Somebody said, yeah, we should, like, go play uh, basketball. And Mr. Beast's guys were, like, right on it, calling around trying to find a high school or a somewhere where they could go and play basketball. Like, just any – they chased his wins kind of thing. You know, whatever he wants to have happen, they'd make it happen right away. And they've got mm-hmm. basically a positive attitude, unlimited budget. So whatever it is, whatever it costs, okay, well, <laughs> well what if we gave you $50,000 or whatever? Like, you know, your guy was kind of used to probably whatever he wants, people will, the unlock magic key is money, which you would think, you know, mm-hmm. you're saying in the 90s, $50,000 was a lot different than $50,000 now, but your, you know, purpose, your you were clear that's not the that's not the unlock for you no you know and the big thing is that diamandis has a great you know a great line he says everybody thinks that creativity is thinking outside of the box he said actually it's thinking in a much smaller box in other words you got to that most people are in a box. I mean, we're all in a box of some sort. If you take space, time, you know, available resources, opportunity, you know, you have limitations. Yeah. And and a lot of people say, well, you know, I would be creative and I would be productive if I I wasn't constrained by my uh, conditions. But if you go Mm -hmm. back to the 16-year-old Jimmy Donaldson, who's AKA yeah. Mr. Beast. You know, when you showed me the first videos, he was very, he was constrained by his circumstances. Yeah. And the reason why he found YouTube is because that was the one escape he had from his situation. 
Uh, so it was only because he was constrained that he found the solution. If he had had the two guys when he was 16, you know, that could get him anything he wanted a snap of the finger, yeah. he wouldn't have created anything over the last eight years. And it's a bit ironic. I mean, I think he's just fun. having, I think he's just having, I think he's just having a little bit of fun now, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, and because, well, uh, if you really I mean, look if, at it. I'm just going to say, if you really look at it, he's discovered that the magic secret of what's in it for them and that life gives to the giver, as our friend Joe Polish would say, that is the key. The turning point for him was when he started giving away money and giving away things to people. Everything switched. You know, the very first brand thing he did was giving some a homeless guy ten thousand dollars yeah and that you know people were fascinated by that then he would go and he would give away cars and he would give away he'd bring people over they'd order pizzas and tip the guy a thousand dollars or pretty it's really i think that he's his confidence to be able to turn down a billion dollars like that is realizing that he knows the key to the universe in a way. <laughs> he knows how to keep people interested in videos, but he also knows the big meta key of it all is what's in it for them. Because that's really, if you listen to what he says about the what makes videos work, if you've got the first five seconds have to be immediately clear why this is worth watching. So it's a literal what's in it for them in that first five seconds is what keeps them keeps them engaged yeah yeah well it's really it's really interesting the other thing is that i think that i've been reading peter zion so i'm on reading mm-hmm. number six i've read the whole book five times and i'm on reading which one now six. the end of the world is just the beginning the end of the world i, I send it received. out i send it yeah i send it out I just to got everybody mine yesterday yeah of course yeah it's a big tech book and 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 what he's saying basically you know is just before one way of life starts to collapse the amounts of dollars available get really ridiculous so i was thinking of the i don't know if you've been following the ftx i'm just a uh, little FTX. bit i don't know the details of it yeah well good. it's just that you know there's you know uh, probably certainly tens of billions of dollars kind of down the drain, you know, for a million people because they bought into sort of a magical story of a bunch of 20 year olds, you know, that they had come up with a secret of how you have a stable cryptocurrency, plus you're able to use your profits to do great things in the world. And but basically it was looks it looks at right off the offset. You know, I don't know much about it because I'm not interested ever in getting right. involved in the particular activity. But it looks a bit like a Ponzi scheme. You know, Ponzi mm-hmm. you take the money from you take you keep generating new investors and you use the money from the new investors to pay off the old older investors, you know. But the total value of what you're doing keeps going up in the marketplace. In other words, uh, they got up to 32 billion, I think 32 billion, you know, and big equity firms like, uh, you know, some of the prominent ones in Silicon Valley were, you know, were giving them 200 200 million because of a Zoom call, you know, and everything. But it was sort of like a frenzy that, you know, you can see a frenzy. And part of the reason is that there's more money in the American economy right now than there actually are things to invest in. And part of the reason is that everywhere in the world is trying to get its money into America right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you can tell that is there's one set of numbers that I look at every morning, and it's the currency exchange between the U.S. and specifically Canada, but everybody else. And the U.S. is way up against every other currency. 
which has a lesson to it. In fact, there's only one currency, and it's the U.S. dollar, and everything else that's called a currency is just a speculative investment that's measured, mm-hmm. whose, measure, whose value is measured in terms of U.S. dollars. There's only one measurement whether of what something is worth, and it's the U.S. dollar. And and part of the reason is that, and Peter Zion says, there's one thing that makes the global economy work, and it's it's unlimited, cheap, reliable transport. Mm. You can get anything from any place in the world to any place else in the world with great security, yeah, reliability. I, like, I, I was just going to say, I thought... It's funny that as the reliability of being able to bring goods to us, the need to bring us to the goods is less important. Like I think that's <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> you know what I mean? You think about or need to personally move ourselves about is less important. Yeah. I don't have to go anywhere, actually. <laughs> I mean, isn't that funny? I was I went to Sarasota this week to meet up with my postcard guys. We're doing a big project, and so we had all these key people in this in this project. These are actually in, U.S. U.S. Coast Guard. No, from my postcard. Oh, I thought you said Coast Coast Guard. No, my, <laughs> I said. <laughs> now they're an important part. They're an important part of world transport. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I, it was so funny that it's, you know it's, it's an hour and a half. It's an hour and a half away. And People probably was, think we just planned that uh, that interchange. <laughs> we we didn't plan that. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But I was just realizing yeah. how much more relaxing it is. Like I hit a couple of construction snags on the way there. And I'm just so used to, you know, opening the door to my Zoom room and having access to the world right in my, from my home, you know, and you realize, yeah. wow, it's just so, yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so funny. But I had to train Norman came down to see me this mm-hmm. week. He was down for a day. And that was fun. Yeah, he's he's still, still, yeah, he really is. He said to yeah, man. Yeah. We recorded a smart podcast. As a, smart our, as a uh, studio. Smart as a tech, though. You know, I mean, he's, well, uh, we talked about. He's got, uh, I mean, he's got tremendous street sense. You can tell he's got tremendous street sense. Oh, absolutely. Well, talk about we did. A, he's got life. A he's got life or death. He's got life or death street sense. Most of us yeah. don't really require to learn that. Yeah. All right. So we recorded a podcast at the studio here, and it dawned on me we were having the conversation. I said, "You know, talk about imagine if you applied yourself." Is imagine <laughs> if you applied yourself? You know implies that there's going to be a transformation that you're here but imagine yep. if you applied yourself you could be here and i said you can't yep. imagine much more of a, a you know a transformation from the basement solitary confinement ward of a prison to being a harvard fellow with the united nations on it's like such a such an amazing yep. contrast and transformation. But we broke down exactly how he did it. You know, we broke down the imagine mm-hmm. is him having the vision that I want to be a success. I want to stay out of like he broke down the whole thing. How it happened? Did he, has he ever told you, or have you ever heard him talk about what he did? in prison, in solitary confinement, like he got one newspaper a month, basically. And he would read the newspaper, like every page in the newspaper, and he would solve all the problems from 20 different angles. He would think about the a situation, and then he would look at it from, so let's say the there's a article about a problem with the school board and the parents or something. He'd look at it from the parents' perspective and solve the problem. He'd look at it from the teacher's 
perspective, from the public perspective, from the kids, you know, all of it, 20 different angles. And he said, after two years of solving all the problems from 20 different angles, he became, an, you know, an expert at connecting, seeing things from all angles and being able to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. fascinating, you know? Well, there's another example of creativity lies in a smaller box, not getting out of the box you're yeah. in. I mean, I mean, solitary confinement in a prison is a pretty, pretty tiny box. <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? It's not having access to all the information that's being printed on a daily basis. Yeah. It's having, you know, once a month, having one input and putting it through an infinite way of looking at things. Was it Bruce Lee yeah. that said, I don't fear the man who knows 10,000 kicks? I fear the man who knows one kick that he's done 10,000 times. Yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think we've been presented with all sorts of offers, you know. And, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that our age is any different than any previous age. It's just that the... Yeah means of communication are different. And what I was saying is that there's always this promise that you can get the rewards of a new capability without actually developing the capability. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it didn't work in the old days and it doesn't work in the new days. You know, it, it, uh, it, you know, it's, you can't get good at anything unless you put in the work. Well, you have to apply yourself is what you're saying. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And you've applied yourself. You just didn't want to apply yourself to what she wanted you to apply yourself to. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's like, you know, Dan has, seems to have no No respect respect for authority. authority. Well, I do have respect for certain authority. But I'm sort of choosy about which authority I have respect for, you know. And, you know, and I think it's that uh, zeroing in on what's, really, you know, what's really a foundation for your future that really what certainly it's entrepreneurial intelligence that you know that all the ready-made ways of developing yourself and making a way in the world is not not to your, you know, it's not to your taste. You want to develop right. your own foundation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why, I, I mean, way, I was really interested. I was really interested. I mean, I went right after that Mr. Beast thing turns down a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, that's that's a really, I mean, that's a really useful lesson to ponder. That's a really useful yeah. thing to ponder. Yeah, but he then he laid out, well, yeah. yeah, he laid out, you know, well, if my viewership was this and... We had this many Mr. Beast burgers, and we had this and this. He said, I'd be interested in entertaining the price, but I think it would be $10 That's just something, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So there's somebody out there, somebody's out there saying, let's rearrange things. Yeah, right. And get $10 billion ready, but he's making them work. You know, he's not doing any work. He's just going on doing what he's doing. Yeah, I get it. That's all. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. By the way, did you know you are the same age as Neil Young? I did not know that. Okay. You're having a better, let's just put it this way. You're having a better experience of it than Neil appears to be having. Well, you know, I didn't, you know, I, first of all, we were probably equal about maybe a year ago because you brought his name up and it was the Uh first time that I actually knew who he was, which before that made us equal because he didn't know who I was. (laughs) Uh Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, We both were equal in not knowing who the other was, you know, now I know who Uh he is. You know, I mean, I looked it up, but I was interested in him because one of my clients has created a hedge fund based on buying music. Libraries. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, Greg, Greg Gishon here in Toronto. And I got interested uh-huh. in the topic, you know, and, yeah. but he's not going, he's not going after people like Neil Young. What he, you know, the lawn tail concept, you know, yeah. lawn uh-huh. tail. Yeah. Well, Neil Young would be closer to the, you know, the straight up line 
than the type of music libraries that this guy's buying. They're going down the tail, yeah. and it's between roughly the 20% mark and the 40% mark mm. of music. And usually there are people who have, like, they've been out there for 10, 20 years, and they have yeah. steady 1,500, you know, 1,500 purchase downloads a month. Okay. Okay. And that's been going on forever. And it's of a mm. particular song. And then they start yeah. looking at different songs. And they yeah. just have a very loyal lifetime audience. And that that suggests predictable ongoing cash flow. And you can yeah. invest in predictable ongoing cash flow. Yeah. So Yeah, he did it's a first one. He did it for fifty two yeah, albums. He fir- yeah. He he did a first one. And, you know, learned a lot, didn't like the people he was dealing with, and probably got a couple of million dollar sellout return when he sold it to a bigger, you know, to a bigger library. He learned a lot, and now he went about doing it. And so it's really interesting. But, you know, if there's an audience of check writers, then you got yourself that you can buy as an investment. Yeah. And he's at the point, like, you just said something about, you reach a point where, it reminded me of, you know, total cash confidence and total cash stuff. He's two things that he talked about. I just saw an interview with him with Rick Rubin and Blow at Rick Rubin's studio in Malibu. And, you know, he, they were talking about his tour. He's a big, he's like save the planet kind of guy now. Mm-hmm. His, you know, he wants to do a tour that is completely, you know, sustainable kind of thing using, you know, biofuels and all the stuff for the entire rigs and the trucks and the power for the concerts and all of that stuff and wants to have all of the vending at the venues, all the food, all the everything from local farms and all this stuff, and he says we keep running into people say, "Well, you can't do that. You can't. You know, it, it's hard to do that." And he's at the point where it's okay if we can't do it. Then we can't do it. I don't need the tour. I don't. I'm not willing to tour without those conditions. And if we can't find those, we can't make those conditions work. Then that's okay. And it's so mm-hmm. funny that you know coming in a situation where it's not because he could make so much money. So I've got all the money that I could ever need. I don't need, I get to ride out the rest of my life and do exactly, I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a, you've said something similar, different, I've heard you say. Well, yeah. You know, it's not a bash against anything else. It's just that you're real clear. You're just really clear of the freedom yeah. that you've purchased in life from your past yeah. success, and yeah. you don't want to you don't want to use any of the freedom that you've created as a currency to buy something less. You know, I mean, right. he, he would be he, he'd be using his freedom to buy less freedom, and he doesn't want it. That's to. exactly right. That's exactly right. That's yeah. a, you know, it's a, a neat place to come from, but they were talking about recording an album that he's working on now that they're recording it in analog, you know, in going back to the old uh, school kind of things to capture, they capture it in analog and immediately transfer it to digital, which I don't understand mm-hmm. the mechanics or the mm-hmm. logic of that, but that's that's what they're doing, and it's because that's what he wants to do, and yep. he can do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, and that's, you know, he's got the luxury of, you know, pondering <laughs> these alternatives. You know, it takes a lot yeah. of freedom to ponder alternatives. And, yeah. And, but it's, 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 it's an interesting world, but the Peter Zion book, you know, I'm excited uh, to read what I, here. I've got, uh, yeah, what I would, right yeah, what I, yeah, in this case, I would read, you know, I always tell people to read the read it backwards. conclusion, the conclusion, 
But in this yeah. case, I would read the conclusion, and then I would read the introduction. I would read the introduction, okay. and because the introduction is really gives you the he doesn't fool around. He gets right to the point, and you know, and <laughs> goes back to that discussion about transport. And he said that he said changes in communication don't fundamentally change us as much as changes in transportation. You know, and he said that when you live in a transportation world where it takes a long time and a big cost to get something, then there isn't a lot of economic activity. But if you get to the point where it's practically guaranteed that anything anywhere can be shipped reliably at very low cost, like like less than 1% of the value, the selling value of the thing that you're selling when you get transportation. And that's what it has been yeah. now for, for the last 20, 30 years. It's less that what you're paying for transportation is less than 1% of what you're going to sell it for or what you're going to buy it for. Then a lot of economic activity happens. And he said, yeah. Now, he said, in a matter of months, we've gone from 1% to maybe 3%, okay? Mm. And it's reflected It's reflected in inflation, we can see. And people say, who's mm-hmm. causing the inflation? He says it's just that the transportation guarantee isn't there, you know, that we're right. losing the transportation guarantee. And, I mean, you wouldn't want to be anywhere around Eastern Europe right now, you know, because, you know, I mean, that's a troubled area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, you know, he says that basically that area, you know, the Uke, you know, Ukraine's Ukraine-Russia border and then go out 500 miles from there, he said that's now risky territory uh, on the planet. And then the Middle East is yeah. always risky territory. And then the Chinese Taiwan thing is risky territory, he said. And so people think twice about mm, those being shipping lanes. I I laugh when I open it. You know, I know you always like to start at the back, and I did just that. And on page 471 is the epilogue of the book. begins, (laughs) 471, the epilogue begins, so... That's the short version. Thanks for sticking mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> so that's the short version, 470 pages. He's got so a very, funny. he's got a very unusual, he's got a very unusual ability, and I haven't really come across it before. That is that mm-hmm. he writes and talks in exactly the same style. If you've uh, yeah, go to I prefer a, that too. I send a, a link uh, along the letter along with the book, and I just a uh, link where he's being he's in a debate with two young guys who have more or less the Silicon Valley attitude that technology is going to solve everything and politics doesn't mean anything and and everything. And he it's very interesting to watch him. It's about an hour long. And, you know, he said they were saying, well, it doesn't matter with petroleum because it's, you know, it's going to be EV. Ten years from now, the whole world's going to go EV. And he said, well, he said, my heart might be with that particular prediction. But he said, I have to tell you, EVs are dead in the water. And he said, you know, we're, he said, only certain parts on the planet and most of them in the United States are going to be able to even afford EVs. And even there, we might not get the parts because the parts that go into the building of just the battery come from 17 different hard-to-get-to places. And if the transportation cost for each of those parts goes up, you know, you have an EV cost being five, ten times higher than, you know, the carbon car, you know, which... Basically, everything's guaranteed from North America. I mean, you can pretty well get everything you need for, you know, and he just goes through and he just lays it out. And he says, look, I mean, how you wish things would be and how you hope things would be, he says one thing, but there's transportation costs is not a bargainable thing. You either can pull it off or you can't pull it off. And and just, I like it. But he's got some phenomenal YouTubes. He's probably got about 50, 60 YouTubes, some of them 
three or four minutes, some of them an hour and a half. Yeah. And uh, and it's just a pleasure to see how he takes things apart and puts them back together again. Yeah, really. Amazing. Well, I can't wait yeah. to I can't wait to read it. I mean, they're just look. Yeah, for that, those know. who are listening, it's Peter Zion, and it's spelled Z E I H A N. And uh-huh. the name of the book is The End of the World is Just the Beginning, which can be taken about three or four different ways. The title. Yeah. And and but I've read it. I've read it five times completely, like every page. And I'm on oh. six now, and I'm just getting so much from. He's just got a very unique take on the world, which yeah. is totally counterintuitive. You know, I mean, it's just completely and yeah. totally counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's gonna. Yeah. Do you? How much do you read in a day, Dan? Just curious how you work that into your world now. Yeah, I actually worked that out because somebody asked me the question about a month ago, and I figured average week somewhere around twenty hours. Then do you have a routine around it? Do you read that? No. Like no. You, you schedule no. it? Or pretty haphazard. It's pretty haphazard. Yeah. Sometimes it's articles on yeah. on the internet. Sometimes it's murder mystery. I just got a new Michael Conley a murder mystery. Michael Conley writes about a homicide cop in Los Angeles by the name of Harry Bosch. Mm-hmm. This is about number 20. And I pre-order them on, uh, pre-order them on my Kindle. And okay, uh, yeah. it's like a birthday. It's like a birthday treat. You open it in the morning, and something you pre-ordered and even forgot about pops up on your screen. And I said, ah, "This will keep me busy for three or four days." I love it. That's- yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty haphazard. I'm pretty. You know. You know. I mean. I mean. I mean. What's your AD for if you can't u- utilize it? Exactly can't be a toddler at the picnic every now and then. Oh, I have a request. I have a client here in Canada who's created a podcast. His name's Andre Brisson, and he's created a podcast on AD for entrepreneurial ADD, and he wants to know if Dean Jackson would agree to give his insights if he was invited. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. I always yeah. love talking so, about that. So he's ADD. Andre Brisson. Okay. No, he's uh, he's an entrepreneur who's oh, worked okay. through it himself, and uh, you know I've given him some guidance. He's in his forties, probably, so you know he hasn't been out there as long as we have, Dean. Right. And some of us longer than that, and some of us longer than others. You know, we've been not applying ourselves longer. <laughs> it takes a while to turn this distractibility into a business model. That's right. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. Yes, uh, I'm happy to. Happy to do that. That would be great. Okay, I, I do good. love a good podcast. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And he'll be a good host for you. And he'll give you free reign to go anywhere you want to go. I love which it. Is only suitable for, which is only suitable for the topic. That's exactly right. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be on to uh, next week. Next week, and happy Thanksgiving. We're celebrating on Thursday here. We get two Thanksgivings. uh, um, Company-wide. Canadian in October and this one. And same meal, though. Turkey. Yeah, well, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Okay, bye.